You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning and welcome. Today we're reading, our scripture reading is from Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. If you would please stand with me as we read this together. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may not I care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. As you have a seat uh, this morning, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Matt uh, Holloman. Uh, My wife and our boys and I have been um, coming to Hope. I'm attending Hope for the last two years, and I get to serve in uh, the college ministry here uh, with Pastor Nathan. I also work um, with Clayton King Ministries and Crossroads uh, Summer Camp. So if you've been driving by Anderson over the past four or five weeks, you've probably seen thousands of students walking across um, and, and getting on campus right over there. We actually have a row of our uh, female summer staffers right here um, who have given up uh, their summer to serve the kingdom of God. We have about 6,000 or so students and leaders who are coming here um, to Anderson over the past four weeks and the next two weeks. And we've already seen over 1,000 students and leaders say, Saved um, by the glory of God. So um, it's just an awesome, yeah, you can put a you can clap for that. Uh, it's an awesome ministry for us to be a part of, and me and my wife, we both work there, and uh, we have a joy um, of serving there. I just want to say thank you to Pastor Mark uh, for allowing me to be up here this morning to preach uh, God's word to each and every one of you as we wrap up our series in the book of Jonah. Let's pray, um, and then we will dive into the word this morning. Jesus, thank you so much, first and foremost, for who you are. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. God, thank you for the work you're doing inside of this church to make your name known. God, I pray this morning as we open up your word in Jonah, God, I pray that we would see the mission that's been on your heart for the last 2,000 or so years. God, that same mission that was that you proclaimed back then is the same mission that you're proclaiming right now to each and every one of us. So God, I pray that our hearts would resemble that mission and the concern that you have for the people who are lost and dying. God, I pray this morning that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would speak your words and your words alone. God, we love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory and the honor because you are worthy of it and you deserve it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Pastor Alan Snap from Grace Community Church in New York, he said this. He said, when the saving love of God poured out like a flood at Calvary, Jesus died. Not for friends, not for like-minded comrades, but for his enemies. 
when that love is poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we should overflow in a love and compassion that knows no bounds. God hasn't called his church to be smug and self-righteous, but to reflect his love and compassion for a lost and dying world. It's a question of compassion. May it echo in our hearts today that there are people that God is sending us to. Will we go? Will we speak? Or will we run? Let me catch you up. If you haven't been over the past uh, few weeks here um, in this six-week series in the book of Jonah, we started in Jonah chapter one, where God came uh, to Jonah and said, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. He gave a command to Jonah and right there in that moment, Jonah fled. Jonah fled from his presence. He didn't want anything to do with this mission that God had called him on. He thought that these people in Nineveh uh, were too far gone. They were too evil for God to save them. So he went out to the port city of Joppa and he took a boat down to this land of Tarshish. He fled from the presence of God. So right there in that moment in Jonah chapter one, we see a few weeks ago that God created this big uh, storm, this great wind uh, over the seas as Jonah's on this boat. And there at the end of it, we see that these, uh, the, the people who were on the boat were so fed up with Jonah that he had fled from the presence of God because now he was putting their safety in, in his hands. And he said, the Bible tells us that he went overboard from the ship into the sea and that God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. While he's in that, the belly of the fish, he actually starts to recognize that he was fleeing from God's presence, that he wasn't having the concerns on his heart uh, that God had, that he wasn't following the mission of God, that he actually cried out to the Lord in Jonah chapter two. He cried out to the Lord. He said a couple things like this in verse six. says, I sang to the foundations of the mountains, the earth's gates, they shut behind me forever. He said, but then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Verse seven says, as my life was fading away, I remembered you, Lord. In great desperation, he cries out to the Lord. And even in verse nine, he says that salvation, it belongs to you, Lord. And once the Lord heard this, he commanded the fish to spit Jonah out onto dry land. So again, in Jonah chapter three, we see that God comes to Jonah and he gives him the same call that he gave just two chapters ago. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach this message that I have told you to preach. And Jonah, he had his head on straight there in that moment. And he actually went to Nineveh to preach the good news of the gospel of Christ. We see that as the people of Nineveh, they received Jonah and they welcomed Jonah in. And they actually declared a fast, as we heard about a couple weeks ago from Pastor Nathan. And in verse 10, it tells us that God saw all their actions, the, repent, the repentance that they had, and he relented from the disaster that he had threatened them. So we see Jonah on mission after the second time that God had came to him. And then we pick up in Jonah chapter four last week, and we're going to pick up there today, of when Jonah, after he had been on mission for God, he was still angry at who God was and what God had done. As David just read in Jonah chapter four, let me just read it to you again, just for emphasis this morning so you don't miss it. In Jonah chapter four, verse five, it says, Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plan and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plan. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. 
He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plan? And Jonah said, yes, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord looked at him and said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Church, let me ask you a question this morning. What would happen in the church if God moved in a mighty way? What would happen in this church and in the big C church? What would happen in the church if God moved in a mighty way. I think we would be mistaken this morning to say that every single person, whether you're in here or whether part of another church, whatever it is, that if God moved in a mighty way, that not every single person would celebrate God moving mightily. That we would be mistaken to think that every single person would rejoice and say, God, you get all the glory. God, you're, you're working, you're moving mightily. And God, we're seeing it. Uh, people come to Christ before our eyes. We're seeing all of these things. We would be mistaken to think that every single person here would celebrate the mighty move of God. We hear excuses like, there's too many people <laughs> that are coming into this church. Uh, what if I disagree with a new person who's coming into this church? What if they don't look like me? What if they don't talk like me? What if they don't vote like I do? What if, what if they don't share the same heart that I share? People would question the authenticity of everything that's happening. Can God really move in that way? There might be some divisions between people who have been here for 15 or 16 years versus the people who are just walking in the door for the first time. We would hear excuses about God moving in such a mighty way. And these excuses reveal the true heart of the person speaking. And this is exactly what's happening right here in Jonah chapter 4. After Jonah had seen God move in such a mighty way after he went and preached the gospel in Nineveh. He saw God relent and turn from the disaster that he had threatened on him. And here in this moment, we see Jonah filled with excuses and Jonah filled with anger. He had saw God pour out miracles on the city of Nineveh. These people who were murderers and adulterers and weren't proclaiming the name of God. They were doing everything else but following God. And Jonah was still angry. He even says in the first few verses, he said, God, I I know that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I know that you're slow to anger. I know that you're abounding in faithful love. I know that you are one who can relent from all of sending disaster. But God, I'm actually still angry that you would save and you would transform and change these evil people. I got a main point for you this morning is this. If you hear one thing I say, hear this, is that kingdom risk have kingdom rewards. Kingdom risk have kingdom rewards. I think a lot of times we miss out on this great reward from Christ. And I'm not talking about financial rewards or success or fame or anything like that for yourself. No, the kingdom rewards that happen when we take a risk for God's kingdom, for God's glory. Jonah missed out on seeing this full reward because he didn't take the risk that God had asked him to take. That he thought that his ways, his desires were going to be greater than God's way and God's desire. So he missed out on the full kingdom reward, the the full pleasure and everything that he could have in Christ. Because he didn't first take the risk, as we saw in Jonah chapter 1, when he fled from the presence of the Lord. That he didn't take that risk, so he missed out on on the kingdom rewards. The kingdom risk have kingdom rewards. Let me tell you where we're going for the next 25 minutes or so. We're going to look at three different things. We're going to see... God's compassion, 
his kindness towards the people of Nineveh. And we're going to see God's compassion and kindness towards Jonah. We're going to see God's discipline. We're going to see the discipline of God happen after he shows compassion and kindness towards Jonah. And then we're going to see God's concern. We're going to see God's concern. God, who has a mission from the beginning of time to seek and to save the lost. We're going to see that mission. And God is asking us, will our hearts reflect that same mission? Will our hearts be obedient to the mission that God has called each and every one of us on? So let's take a look at God's kindness, his compassion towards Jonah. In verse 5, it says, Jonah left the city that he saw God pour out miracles on the city of Nineveh. He, so he left the city, found a place east of it. He made it himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plan in his kindness, in his compassion right here. And it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him for his trouble. And it's the first time we see Jonah happy and excited in this book. It says, Jonah was greatly pleased with the plan. So Jonah, he had now escaped again after he saw the miracles of God, after he saw the city of Nineveh repent and proclaim a fast. He now is fleeing again to find shelter somewhere else besides shelter in the name of the Lord. Jonah was waiting. He was waiting to see what God was going to do. Was he going to bless him? Was he going to just try to comfort him in this moment? While Jonah was waiting, for each and every one of us in here, hear this. While Jonah was waiting, God was still working. I think in our lives, we get to this point of waiting where God hasn't maybe answered our prayers. God, are you actually still there? Do you still love me? Are you going to show me compassion are you going to be kind and loving towards me? You're going to be that just and forgiving father that we see all throughout scripture because God, you haven't answered my prayer yet. God, you haven't done the things that I want you to do in my life or in my family member's life or in my friend's life or, or my kid's life. God, we're still just waiting. And while we're waiting, even if we can't see it, God is still working. God is still working in our hearts to change us and transform us to look more like him. I think it's easy for us to knock Jonah. I think it's easy for us to say, Jonah, you're just this terrible person. Why would you just not listen to God? Why would you flee from his presence? It's easy for us to knock Jonah until we realize that at some point in our life we have been Jonah or maybe we are Jonah right now. In the compassion of God, Jonah would look at uh, God, and he would say, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to do anything that you've called me to do. In God's compassion, he still looks at him and says, go. Go on mission for me. When Jonah was angry with God, he says, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. God still pours out his love and comforts him with compassion and kindness here when he appointed that plant to come over his head on a hot day. When Jonah couldn't let go of any of the bitterness or anger that he had realmed up in his heart, God looked at him and said, hey, I will comfort you here in these moments. I'm here for you, my son. When Jonah wouldn't let go of anything else, when, when Jonah didn't obey, when Jonah tried to just turn away from everything that God wanted, God, in his compassion and kindness, he presses in a little bit more to try to get Jonah's attention. That's the same thing he's doing with each and every one of us, that God loves us and he shows compassion toward us even when we don't fully obey him or love him. We've got two boys um, at home, a three-year-old named Hayes and a one-year-old named Hampton, and they are just so awesome until they're not, and they are just so sweet and adorable until they're not, right? Come on, if you're a parent in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's okay. We can just relax a little. 
all right? They're so sweet and cute and adorable until one of them takes another toy from the other one and they're like starting to wrestle here in this moment. I'm trying to tell our three-year-old that you're so much bigger than your one-year-old brother and you can't wrestle him. And you can't just pull him down to the ground and put him in a chokehold, right? Like all these things happen in our household. Just come over and you'll see the chaos that's happening. Like, but Hayes, he'll look at him. He'll look at Hampton. He'll take the toy out of his hand and he'll look at him and say these two words, that's mine, right? Say, that's mine. That's not yours, that's mine. That's the type of culture we live in today. We live in a me, me, me type of culture that we want all the attention just to be on us. They want everything to just, God, just to serve us and just do what we want to do. God, would you just pour out your blessings on us? Just lavish us with your grace and mercy and your forgiveness. Just lavish your love all over us. But God, we don't want anything to do with your mission or the concerns of your heart. It brings us to an attitude like this towards God. God, I won't serve you, but God, you serve me. God, I don't want to love you here in this moment because you're not doing the things I want you to do, but God, I need you to love me. I don't want to obey you. I don't want to live on mission for you, but God, you serve me. I don't want to follow you here in my life, but God, I'm expecting you to comfort me in my time of need. That's the attitude that I've had over the years, and that's the attitude that maybe you have right now, and God is questioning this to us is does our heart match the heart of God? Will our heart match his concerns and his mission that he has for us? Because when our heart doesn't match what's in our head, we'll fill ourselves with our desires instead of God's desires. When our heart doesn't match the knowledge that we have in our head, Jonah knew. He said, God, you're compassionate, you're gracious, you're slow to anger, you're abounding in faithful love. I've seen you pour out uh, your love and your grace towards this evil city of Nineveh. I've seen you do all these things. He had it in his head, but his heart didn't match the knowledge that was pouring out of his mouth. So when our heart doesn't match the knowledge that we have in our head, our desires become more appealing to us than the desires and the mission that is on God's heart. But he's still kind and he's still compassionate because we see even in Jonah's me, me, me type of self right here, we see that God appointed a plant. It grew over Jonah's head to provide shade, to rescue him from his trouble. It says that Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So even though God is kind and God is compassion, God is also a disciplinarian. God is also somebody who disciplines us. And I want to just let you off the hook right here. God is not some angry, just full of wrath type of God who's ready just to cast you out to the ends of the earth or whatever, to the ends of the sea or any of those things. He's not just some God who's just angry at you for every single thing you do. He's a kind and compassionate God, but he's also a God who disciplines us. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Mark say this, God intervenes our disobedience with discipline. And he's trying to get our attention fully on him. So that's why he disciplines us. I was writing uh, this sermon the past few weeks and I was thinking, I got another illustration about my kids right here. And they, uh, Hayes, when he was one and a half years old, he looked at me and he was in this phase of biting, right? Any parent in here have to deal with biting? Yeah, come on. And Hayes was, we were sitting in the chair in his room and he looked at me and he was angry at something that I said to him. So he bit me right on my arm. And as any good parent would do, I was fed up and I was angry in that moment. 
I looked at him, and if you've never done this, I'm sorry, you can call me a bad parent. If you want to, just don't call DSS on me. But he looked at me, bit me, and I took his arm, and I bit him right back. Any other parent ever do that in here? Yeah, come on. Yeah, all right, so I'm not the only one, all right? Yeah, everybody's shaking their head. Yeah, let's go. All right, so he bit me, and I took his arm, and I bit him right back. But can I tell you where my heart was in that moment? It wasn't angry at him, really. Yes, it hurt, but I wasn't really angry at the thing that he did. He was one and a half years old. I was actually trying to discipline here him in that moment to do what? To get his attention back on me, the one who was controlling the situation. The one who was in control over the decisions that he was making there in that moment. And God, he was questioning here in Jonah chapter 4. He's questioning Jonah in the heart that he has. So after he comforted him, after he showed him compassion and kindness, God comes in with the discipline and he looks at Jonah and he appoints this worm. He appoints this scorching east wind. And I think there's times in our life that God will discipline us just like I disciplined my one and a half year old son at that moment. There's times in our life that God will discipline us to get our full attention on him and to grow our affection for him. There's times in our life that God will discipline us so that our full attention will come back on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that our attention and our eyes will be focused in on him and so that he can grow our affection for him. Because when we have a lack of attention on the main thing, which is Jesus, our obedience to Jesus is going to lack as well. And God wants our full attention on him. He doesn't just want some partial obedience, no partial attention Because partial obedience is blatant disobedience. Partial obedience is blatant disobedience. That we see right here in Jonah 4 that Jonah was just halfway in. So yeah, God, I'll go, but I'm going to be angry about it. God, I'll go, but I don't think that you can do what you are calling me to do. God, I'll go, but I really don't want to see you transform and change the hearts of these evil people. So God here in this moment, when he disciplines him, he also questions Jonah. He questions him after he's so angry when Jonah said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God asked him, he said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right for you to be angry about the things that I have now done in your life? And Jonah said, yes, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. I think that God questions our motives in this life because our motives will reveal the desires of our heart. God's going to question us and see the motives that we have behind every situation in our friendships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our finances. God's going to question the motives behind our hearts because it reveals the desires of our heart. Jonah here in this moment, he's so angry. He's so wrapped up in the emotional feeling that he can't see that God is trying to change him and transform him. And in my life, I'm guilty of this, and maybe you are too, that a lot of times I get wrapped up in the emotional feelings of this life that I forget that God is trying to change me and transform me to look more like him. I get so wrapped up in the emotional things that happen. God, why are you not doing this? God, I can't stand you for not answering my prayers. God, I'm so angry that you haven't saved my child yet. God, I'm so angry at every single thing that you're doing because it's not my, it's not the desires that I want. You're not doing anything according to my will. 
But God, I'm just so angry. So there's sometimes we're here in church, if we're being honest, that we get so wrapped up in the emotional feelings of things that we forget that we serve a God who is compassionate and kind, but also a disciplinarian, that he's trying to catch our motives and question our motives so that our full attention and our affection would be on him and only him. We forget that there's a spirit of God who is living inside of us. If we proclaim and profess to know Jesus as Lord, that spirit of God is changing us and transforming us to look more like him. So we serve a God of kindness. We serve a God of compassion. We serve a God of discipline. Now God wants to reveal to us his mission and his concern for the lost and the dying, the sick, the poor, the widows of this world. He looks at Jonah in verse 10. He says, so the Lord said, you cared about the plant, but you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. From the beginning of time, almost 2,000 years ago now, God's mission has always been the same. God's mission was to redeem lost people and restore a broken world. And if we know Jesus, if we've said yes to Jesus in our life, we've had that Romans 10, 9 and 10 moment that we've proclaimed that Jesus is Lord over our lives and we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. We called upon him to be saved. God has called us on this journey to become a part of redeeming the lost and restoring the broken. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus actually sends out his mission statement for each and every one of us to hear. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For the son of man is on one mission to seek and to save the lost. And God is calling us to be on that journey with him this morning. A lot of scripture coming at you right here. After, after uh, Jesus proclaims his mission to seek and to save the lost, he says, hey, this is your journey as well. In Matthew 24, 14, he says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, very popular passage of scripture, says, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. In Luke 24, 46 through 48, it says, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day in repentance. And as for repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. In Acts 1 verse 8, Paul writes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And there's multiple other scriptures that you can go through This morning in your journey, you can see that God has called us to become a part of redeeming the lost and restoring the broken. And if that's not enough, 
The Gospels show the concerns of Jesus' heart. They, they show the concerns that are on God's heart for this loss in this dying world, these people who are sick and poor and widows. We see the mission of God revealed in the Gospels. Where in Matthew chapter 9, this tax collector named Matthew, people hated him. He was scamming them out of all of their money. And God comes to him, somebody so wicked and so evil that people could not stand. And Jesus comes to him here in that moment at his tax collector booth and says, Matthew, follow me. In Mark chapter two, one of my favorite passages of scripture, one of my favorite stories is that this paralyzed man comes down through the roof by his four friends and Jesus looks at him. He sees his physical limitations. He sees that he can't walk. He sees that he can't do anything on his own. He sees all of those things right before him. And before he could heal his physical limitations, Jesus looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. That he wanted to change his heart before he changed the posture of anything else of him. In Mark chapter five, we see that Jesus is on this journey to heal Jairus' daughter. This little girl who is on her deathbed getting ready to cross over to this next life. Jesus is on his way to heal her. And this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years comes up behind Jesus and he pulls, she pulls at the tassel of his robe. And Jesus there in that moment, even though he was interrupted on his journey, Jesus looks at this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years and says, daughter, your faith has saved you. And he didn't stop there. He kept on going to Jairus' daughter who was on her deathbed and he looks at her who is sick and suffering and he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And if that wasn't enough, in John chapter four, Jesus comes to this woman at the well where people could not stand. People were judging her and gossiping about her. And she had no heart for the Lord there in that moment. She had been married to five different men and had a, another man by her side. People were just, just, just terrified of who she was, didn't want to live like her. So she came to the well early in the morning to fill up her water jar so that nobody else would see her. And Jesus looks at her after she asked him, would you give me a drink? She, Jesus looks at her and says, the one who you have asked would give you living water. And everyone who drinks of this living water would never go thirsty Again, this is the kindness, this is the compassion that Jesus shows that even in Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is hanging on that middle cross between two criminals after they had just mocked Jesus, after they just proclaimed that he is not Lord or Messiah, Jesus looks at the criminal who repents and says, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the mission of God's heart. This is the concern of God's heart for the ones who are lost, for the ones who are dying, for the ones who do not know him, for the ones who are poor and widow and broken. This is the concern and the mission that's on God's heart. And he's asking us again, does our heart match his? Because when we begin to align ourselves with the mission of God, when our hearts are aligned with the mission of God, we begin to believe that God can transform even the most evilest of people. When our hearts are actually aligned with God's mission, with God's concern, our hearts now start to believe that God can transform and change the most evilest of people. And that's exactly what he's trying to get across to Jonah right here. That, But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh. These people 
120,000 of them that can't distinguish between their right and their left. Should I not care about them? And again, I'm guilty of this and maybe you are too. I think a lot of times we would proclaim with our mouth and profess with our mouth that we're Christians and we believe in the mission of God, but our actions never back it up. Warren Wearsby, he would say like this, is it does little good if Christians declare and defend the truth, but fail to demonstrate it in their own lives. It does little good if Christians declare and defend the truth, but fail to demonstrate it in their own lives. Titus 1.16, it says, they profess that they know God, but in works, they deny him. Church, we can't just declare and defend the truth. We also must demonstrate it for the lost and the broken that are in our communities, in our world, in our home. That's the call. That's the mission that God has for each and every one of us. When he asked him, but I may, may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, I believe that God right here in this moment is foreshadowing, foreshadowing for his son to come. That the mission of God's heart was to see people like me and you be restored and redeemed to a right relationship with the father. That from the very beginning of time in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed him, he disciplined them, but yes, he also comforted them in that moment. He had a plan of redemption that he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who was holy and blameless and just and forgiving for a lost and a dying world, for people like me at 17 years old that would hear the gospel clearly and give his life over to the Lord to spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the call for each and every one of us. We take this good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, but also will we take the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our cities, to our schools, to our workplaces, to our home. God is calling us to live on mission and have the same concern that he had for this city of Nineveh like he has for this world right now that we live in. We have a flag that hangs up outside of our home and it says this, in our home as it is in heaven. In our home as it is in heaven. That we want to see the kingdom of God displayed in our home by the people who come into our house to eat dinner with us, people who come over and hang out with us. We wanna see the kingdom of heaven advance in our home, starting with us. It's gotta start with us as believers because if we don't share it, who else will? I have a friend who has this little poster in her house and I asked her if I could use it this morning because it just displays everything that we're talking about this morning. It says this, it says, in Anderson, as it is in heaven. In Anderson, as it is in heaven. This is the call that God has for each and every one of us. In this place that we call home, whether you call Anderson home or not. This is the place that God has planted me and my family. This is the place that God maybe has planted you. And the call on our lives is to do this in Anderson as it is in heaven. The ones who are lost and dying and don't know Christ in Anderson as it is in heaven. The ones who are poor and broken in Anderson as it is in heaven. I did a little Research this past week and saw that in 2022, the U.S. Census Bureau, they came out with how many people lived in Anderson County. 210,000 people make up Anderson County. 
means that 210,000 people need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts with us. And in 2022, at the end of the year, the U.S. Census Bureau came up, as we just sang in that song, So Will I. There's 8 billion people that make up this world. That means that 8 billion people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts with us and the mission that we are on. Because our number one goal, I believe, in this life, our number one priority in this life must be to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. That our number one goal that we're running after and chasing after in this life must be first to know Jesus, to have our hearts right and aligned with him, and then to make Jesus known. I believe that God is asking each and every one of us this question, myself included. Are we self-centered or are we gospel-driven? Are we self-centered or are we gospel-driven? Are we here to advance the kingdom of God or advance and build our kingdom? That's the question that has resonated with me all week. I've had to do some digging and say, am I self-centered or am I ready to proclaim the good news of your gospel? Am I here to advance your kingdom, Jesus, or just to build the kingdom of Matt Holloman? Because once our hearts start to align with this mission of God, God is able to use us to transform our lost and broken world that we live in right now. If you look out, you'll see. You'll see the world and you'll you'll see the things that are going on, the people who are lost and dying and, and going to hell right now. Because why? Because we haven't been the ones to take up this mission and say, God, I'm ready to advance your kingdom. So wherever you are this morning, I'm asking, just as God asked at the end of Jonah chapter four, as we tied this series up with a little bow on top, he's asking us, will we live on mission for him, for his glory and for his kingdom's advancement? Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we ask you right now here in this moment, that you would transform our hearts, God, that you would change us to look more like you. You told us from Genesis chapter one that we have been made in your image after your likeness. So God, I pray that our heart would match your heart. The mission of our heart, the concerns of our heart would match the concerns that you have for this world that we live in right now. God, I pray that we would be the people who would go to the, ends of the earth, yes, but God, also to the end of our neighborhood to share the gospel. Pray that we would be people who would take the risk, God, so that we can see your eternal reward happen through salvation. I pray that we would take up our cross, God, that we would deny ourselves, God, so that we can follow after the call that you have on our lives. Jesus, just as the prophet Isaiah told us, and he proclaimed, here I am, God, would you send me? Here I am, God, would you send me? May that prayer right there just resonate in our hearts. God, that we would be the ones who are advancing your kingdom by sharing your good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who has came to redeem and restore a lost and broken world. God, start with us this morning. Jesus, we are quick right now to give you the glory 
and the honor and the praise for everything that you're doing inside of every life that sits in these pews right now. We say thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.